This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience receives a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Um, You may have heard of the play. It was an off-Broadway play. It got turned into a movie. Um, Little Shop of Horrors. You ever know that story? Familiar with the story? The story of this plant, which ended up being an alien. That's neither here nor there. But you think it's a plant uh, that grows, uh, only grows when the main character Seymour figures out human blood, right? Would grow this plant. And it gets bigger and bigger, and soon the little prick from the finger is not enough. You have to feed it more and more until he ends up feeding it whole people to grow the plant. And you you may go, well, that's a weird story to start a sermon out with. Maybe it is. But here's the thing. Whenever you bow the knee to an idol, you begin by just giving a little. Right? A little prick. But what happens is, the more you give, the more it asks you to give. It asks you to give more and more and more until you're left with nothing else. The false god looks at us and says, feed me, Seymour. That's what the plant says over and over again. Feed me. We find that we can never give enough. These idols, they take and take and take and leave us with nothing. And it is in light of this that we're reminded of the purpose of Hebrews. And I told you, you're going to get tired of hearing me say this. What is the point of Hebrews? The point of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Better than what? And God's people say, everything. If you leave, if I leave you and we get through all of Hebrews and you know nothing else, I'll be happy if you know that right there. Jesus is better than everything. The people that the writer of Hebrews are writing to are tempted to, to drift away. They want to go back to their old religion of Judaism because it's going to be easier, they think. It's going to be safer. And they're tempted now to bow the knee to a false god. And when they do that, it will exact a high cost on them. One that will soon, not soon, stop being exacted. And we look at that and we consider our world today and we see something very similar. Because people today, we don't like doctrine. We don't like theology. We don't like truth in this world. It's about feeling good. It sounds tolerant and attractive, but it's not what the Bible says. Because 
while the world may come and say truth is irrelevant or truth is relative, the Bible says something very different. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Truth is important. It is through belief, it is through the truth that we believe in that God saves us and then works in our hearts to make us holy. He reveals to us, I should say, through that truth, how it is that he saves us. So as we come to our text today, we're going to see three things. A better message, a better salvation, and a better sign. A better message, a better salvation, and a better sign. Let's begin by looking at a better message. The writer, again, is warning. You are in danger of doing something very silly, very stupid. You're in danger of falling away from Christ and going back to Judaism. And this is the first of five major warnings in the book of Hebrews. All deal, all of them deal with falling away, both from Christ and from the hope of salvation that he offers. And the word here is, when we look at this, drifting away, lest we drift away. This is from the Greek word uh, parero. And what it talks about, the translation of it is a ship that is either off course or a ship that has lost its moorings. In other places, it's used to talk about something that slipped your mind or even a ring that has slipped off your finger. The point of it is this, though. If a ship is off course, or if a ship... We all live on a lake, right? If you don't tie up your ship well enough and the ship comes off your boat, what happens to the boat? It's going to go, right? It's going to drift away. This evil age would pull us from our safe harbor in Christ. If we don't pay attention, if we're distracted by this world, we can be drawn away forever. This world is corrupt and we are easily dulled and we are easily deadened. It says you must pay attention lest you lose your way and drift away on the the tides of this world. Now, let me stop for a moment. Because you may be saying to yourself, well, that sounds like I can lose my salvation. No, that's not what it's talking about here. And we know that's not what it's talking about here because the rest of scripture, John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. But it's also true when we look at scripture that not all who say they follow after Jesus are actually his. Judas Iscariot is an example of this. He was with Jesus for those three years. There's another man by the name of Demas, an associate of Paul, who in one reference, Paul says he's with me. Later on, it says he's left. The implication is that he's left the faith. We have to be mindful of the dangers of apostasy. And it is in light of this that the writer gives a command. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We must 
pay closer attention to what we've heard. It's, it's the proverbial teacher in the classroom, right? You're trying to teach your kids something, and they're not, hey, pay attention, pay attention. Listen to what I'm teaching you. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says, pay attention. Pay attention to what you've heard. Because if you don't pay attention, you may fall away. Because the, the solution in these situations when we're tempted or worried that we're drifting is not to go, oh no, am I drifting away? Oh no, what can I do? What am I supposed to do? The solution is pay attention to what you've heard. Pay attention. For since this message declared by angels proved to be reliable, pay attention. This word for pay attention from the Greek word prosheko, holding a course or securing an anchor. And so again here we see a nautical term. We had one nautical term being used, now we have another nautical term. He's saying, hold the course. Hold the the course, or make sure your anchor is secure. Hold the course. Pay attention. Staying on course takes diligence. Because here's the thing. If you're in a boat, you can turn on or turn off the engine and just walk away from the, the, the till, whatever you want to call it, and you'll drift one way or the other. It takes care of itself, right? It will drift whether you want it to or not. You can't just stick a boat. If you stick your boat out here on the, the lake, of course, our lake being a, a dammed up lake has a natural flow to it, doesn't it? And you just say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it, I'm going to point it towards the dam and hope I don't hit the sides. Hope I don't hit anything else. It's, it's not going to work, is it? You have to stay on course. And that requires much more diligence than drifting. And it's not about our justification. We don't do the past tense of our faith. Christ did that. It's about the present tense of our salvation that we're active in. Our sanctification, our being made holy. It is an active Thing we must be active in paying attention on staying on course. Uh, J.C. Ryle, in his famous, well, famous in secular or Christian circles book, Holiness, says this: I will never shrink from declaring my belief that there are no spiritual gains without pains. I should soon as expect a farmer to prosper in business who contented himself with sowing his fields and never looking at them till harvest. As expect a believer to attain much holiness, who was not diligent, diligent excuse me, about his Bible reading, his prayers, and his use of Sundays. In essence, it's saying this. If you're a farmer, you don't throw seeds at the ground and then just leave them and then come back when they're ready to be harvested, do you? That's not how it works. You are diligently caring and tending over that crop. In much the same way, as a Christian, you don't just say, I'm a Christian, and then hope it works itself out to the end, right? 
You are to diligently be working at holiness. God's word is the anchor that secures our salvation. It is the rudder by which we safely steer the ships of our soul. This is what it says to pay attention to what you have heard. What is it that they've heard? They've heard nothing less than the very word of God. It is a call to be secure in the word of God. And it's a truth that we desperately need today. Here's the reality. People are continually looking to something to change their lives. We live in a self-help world. A seven easy steps to whatever. We're looking for something to change us. And the problem is when we come to God and we come to the word of God, we like to invent ways that it can change us. We maybe emotionalize it. We're looking for some sort of emotional experience or we have some sort of ritual or discipline. If I just do this, some special formula to make us more godly. But the problem is this. We cannot gimmick our way to holiness. We can't gimmick our way to holiness. We have to avail ourselves to the methods given to us in scripture. Pay attention. Study God's word. Understand it. Know it. Hide it in your heart so that when temptation comes, when the world's voice comes, you will have an answer. The very word of God. We must organize our thoughts around the Bible's message every day of our life. We have to ground our identity in it. And we go to it and we say, we have been adopted as sons of God. That's what it tells us. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God most high, beloved children. We go to it and it says, it is in Christ's blood that I am made pure. He has purchased me from death, from sin. We go to God's word and says, I know I have a hope of eternity with him because it tells me so. Paul makes this argument in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you want to hold fast in your faith? Do you want to know that you are on course, that your anchor is secure? Then avail yourself to the means which he has given to you. Be people of the book, giving careful attention to its message all the days of your life. Here's the thing. The writer of Hebrews understood something. The same thing that writer of the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount, understood, right? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Our hearts are wandering, drifting things. And we are prone daily to leave, to be set adrift on the, the waves and the tides of this world. And if we do this, 
If we set our boat adrift, we will soon be lost. We will soon be sunk. We must anchor ourselves in Christ. We cannot create ways to know God. God has given us the ways that we are to know him. He condescends to us through his very word. We have a better message. We also have a better salvation. The, the writer of Hebrews is about to give us two more reasons why we should pay attention. The first one we're going to look at, as, as I've entitled it, is a better salvation. Uh, but he gives us an argument from the negative. He's going to also give us an argument from the positive uh, when we look at our next point. But you see here, there's this, uh, this argument from the negative. Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Okay, so what is the argument here? He's saying in essence this, look, the angels delivered to us the word of God. And we see in the Old Testament over and over again that when people disobeyed God, they received a judgment. And we don't have to go far to, to see this in Bible. We go look at Israel. They sinned against God and worshiping an idol. They wandered for 40 years. We could look at Nadab and Abihu, these two sons of Aaron who played with strange fire and then were consumed by fire. And the argument from the writer is, in essence, this. If it is true in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, which is the lesser revelation, the lesser salvation, how much more true is it if we neglect the New Testament, the greater salvation? How shall we escape it, he says in verse 3, if we ne neglect such a great salvation? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Now, and here's the problem. Many will misunderstand the Old Testament. They misunderstand the purpose and point of the Old Testament because the world would have us believe, those who, I would say, the world that dabbles in the Christian realm uh, would have us believe this. God tried the Old Testament and it didn't work. And so instead of the Old Testament where he was vengeful, wrathful God, he decided to try the New Testament where he was loving, gracious God. And they divorce the Old Testament wrathful God from the New Testament loving God. But there's a problem in this. They're missing something. In the Old Testament, he's the same God. He's the same holy God and he's the same loving God as he is in the New Testament. And you have to go no further than the teaching of Jesus to see this. Jesus in talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 11 says this. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. This is God. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And he says, hey, you remember that judgment that happened on Sodom? It's going to be more tolerable for them on the day of judgment than it's going to be for you. Does that sound like a message of lovey-dovey, I'm not a God of wrath anymore. 
Matthew 5, 7, he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. This is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount when he's saying, Hey, look, let me tell you something. It's not just if you kill somebody. It's if you have anger in your heart, then you've broken my commandments. He does not abolish the law. He shows us the full weight of the law. But they go, no, Jesus comes and says, a new commandment I give you. Just love your neighbor. Go love one another. This is John 13, 34. I give you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And they'll say, well, this is Jesus settling for a lower standard, for less. And the answer is no. What's more difficult? Go do X, Y, Z or go love your neighbor? What's harder? (coughs) Sometimes we say, well, it's easier to love. I don't think that's true. (coughs) We cannot misunderstand the Old Testament. It is not irrelevant. It is the inerrant word of God. It reveals to us a portion of God's plan for salvation. But we also must remember that the Old Testament gives an imperfect picture of that salvation, doesn't it? The New Testament gives the perfect, the whole picture. It's where the Old Testament salvation is incomplete, the New Testament salvation is complete. Yet even in the lesser, there was judgment. How much more will judgment be in the greater? It cannot be avoided. We must pay attention Because if the message told by angels is true and every disobedience received retribution, how will you escape judgment in the greater? That's his argument. Pay attention to the teaching of Jesus because it's greater. Do not ignore it. (coughs) If you do, it'll be to your detriment. So it's a better salvation, but it's also a better sign. That's our last point. This is starting halfway through verse 3 and then to the end of verse 4. It was declared to us first by the Lord. The it here, by the way, is the word, the message that they want, he wants you to pay attention to. Pay attention to what you have heard. This thing that was first declared by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The message that we have heard demands our attention first and foremost Foremost, because it was given to us by God himself, by our Lord, by Jesus Christ. He has given us his word, and we must pay attention to it. What does his word tell us? In every religion of man, people have to feed the God they serve. But Christ comes and says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not, shall never thirst his word comes to us and says I am providing for you all that you need do not turn to the things of this world it was attested to us it was excuse me it was declared to us 
by God, but it was also attested to us by the apostles. The apostles, these fathers who brought us a lot of the New Testament, right? Who, who were active in the spread of the early church. These men who had nothing to gain, nothing to gain. In fact, if you look at the life of, life of the apostles, uh, I'm pretty sure I, to a man, what happened to them? They were killed. Hey, I got a good idea, guys. Let's, Jesus is dead, and that's real sad. But hey, we can make his memory live on. Let's just say that he rose, and let's start teaching people about this guy that rose. And they'll never know the difference, right? That's a good idea, and it'll bring us fame and fortune. That's not the story of the New Testament, is it? It's not. If, you, if, if I were to stand here and make up a, a faith today... And then go like, this is what I'm going to start preaching. And then I went outside and people were like, hey, if you don't stop preaching that, I'm going to kill you. I'd probably be like, oh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Right? It's, it makes no logical sense to keep putting forth a message that's going to get you killed unless that message is true. And it says the apostles, they came and they did many signs and wonders, various miracles. God bore witness through these men by these signs and wonders and miracles. It is a message like no other given by the Lord Jesus, attested or witnessed to by the Holy Spirit through the works of these men, works he did through these men. We should fear to be separated from the anchor of God's word. To have any other captain of our salvation is foolishness we must turn to the word of God we must turn to it <coughs> we must look to the changed life this life that begins today for the believer For all those who believe in him, our life must be changed and conformed by the word of God. And this comes to us, you who do not know him, it says this. This world is empty and it is fleeting. Come and see God in his word. Hear his message and surrender and rest in him. And it says to you who are doubting, don't wallow in your doubt. Come and pay attention to what he has already told you. Study and know his word. This word that comes in power, the Bible, which is reliable because it comes from the Lord. Here's the thing. If Jesus is better, then his word is better too. If Jesus is better, then his message is better too. So we must stop feeding the beast. We have to stop feeding our idols. We have to stop falling into trap of thinking that there's something better than him. I think we fall into that trap by not saying it, right? We live sometimes like there's something better than him. We would never say it's better than him. But we still seek after it. 
hoping it can provide something for us that we're missing. But we soon find, or if you haven't, you will, that it's just draining you. It takes and it takes until there's nothing left to give. Christ comes and says, bring to me nothing but a broken and contrite heart. I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need any of it. I just need you. I have done it for you. He provides all that we need. We should therefore come and trust in him because he's better. His message is better. His salvation is better. His sign is better. His message is the very word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. His salvation, which he himself has secured for us through his blood and his death on the cross. His sign given to us through his apostles, through whom he gave authority, through his Holy Spirit, which he has sent to work in our hearts. Let us turn to him who is better. Let us trust in him who is better. Let us rest firm in his word, which is better. His message, his salvation, his plan, his priorities. Because it's better. It's better than anything anything else know your hearts your hearts as we sing are prone to wonder we are prone to get off course and it is easy to get off course it is not as easy to stay on course because it requires something of us But it's worth it. It is better. It is better indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. This word, which is the very word of God, the message given to us through the working of the Holy Spirit. Would we rely and trust trust on it? Would we cling to it when we are tempted to drift? Would it be our lifeline, our secure anchor, which will hold us through this life. We ask and pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand as you're able.